Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 194 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thanks for checking out this episode today. Before I introduce today's guest, I wanted to read a listener review. I love getting them. I love sharing them with you. So this one is on Apple Podcasts, and the subject of this review is Can't Turn It Off, five stars. It's left by Will Tree Close, and the review says, Just discovered this podcast via Cast Iron Design, and now I can't turn it off. Short but sweet. Thank you so much for leaving that review, Will Tree Close. I really appreciate you spending some time listening to the podcast. Thank you. And just one more thing before I introduce the guest. If you are listening to the Quickie Podcast and you're just about to dive into this episode, take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram stories or through Instagram somehow and tag at the Quickie Podcast. I would love to know if you're listening to it so I can reach out and say thank you directly. So today's guest is Anushka Kendwala. She's a designer, writer, and educator out of London in the UK. During this episode, we talk about her introduction to design and how she originally wanted to study painting and fine art, but decided to do graphic design instead. She talks all about that decision and what weighed into that. We also talk about the one course that she took that really lit up her eyes for the world of graphic design. We also talk about her noticing the lack of women of color in design and how she wrote a paper on it, where that was published, what that did for her, and why she's so passionate about exploring and, and talking about diversity in the design industry. She actually did a panel with the ladies wine and design out of London um, all about just that. We also get into the festival artwork that she absolutely loved and why it stood out to her. We talk about her favorite magazine publication and why it's her favorite. And then we talk a little bit about how design is viewed and valued or not and why. And right in the end, she shares a project with us that was all about open dialogue and why she's so proud to have been a part of that. Ladies and gentlemen, I really enjoyed my chat with Anushka. She is very excited about design and creative and very passionate about exploring diversity in design and talking and writing about it. So let's get to this one. Ladies and gentlemen, Anushka Kendwala. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Anushka, welcome to the Quickie Podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Dave. No, I'm excited to have you on the show. Glad we could find a time that worked. And it's it's like dinner time for you right now, isn't it? Yeah, that, the hunger pangs are striking. Oh, perfect. I better get rocking on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Here I am, 10 a.m., just sipping my coffee, just relaxing. <laughs> awesome. Well, I always want to start with a couple of tough questions. Um, first one, mm-hmm. are you ready for a quickie? I think I might just be. 
Perfect. Now the really tough stuff. Briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Okay. So my name, as you guys know, is Anushka. I'm a designer, writer, and an educator. Um, I teach at Central St. Martins, uh, Camberwell College of Arts, and Kensington and Chelsea College. And uh, I guess the main part of my practice is that I'm interested in diversifying and decolonizing the design industry. So that um, comes through in all of my the different parts of my work in lots of different ways. Very cool. I definitely want to unpack that a little bit. But first, mm-hmm. it's because you're in London, even though you may have just been listing like regular schools in London, it sounds so like mm-hmm. official, top class. Like <laughs> it almost sounds like you're talking about, you know, I'm a Harvard instructor and like, you know, those like world renowned schools. It's Good. A, I it, like that. That's exactly <laughs> what I want here. World renowned educator. Uh-huh. Perfect. So, Anushka, what was your childhood like? And do you feel that you had a creative childhood that pointed you in this career path? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of uh, varied, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I was quite academic as a child, and my parents seemed to kind of be pushing me in that direction. Mm-hmm. But then um, my mum before she went to medical school, was really um, was really good at art. And so she kind of enrolled me in art classes, which was an amazing privilege to have when I was quite young. And I really took to it. I really liked it because I was good at it. But also, um, it was just really meditative. I felt really at peace whenever I was drawing or painting. Mm-hmm. And um, that was like, kind of all fine and then I got to um I guess about 15 16 which is in the UK that's when you specialize in your subjects and that's crazy uh, in itself I know which is is crazy right because it's just ridiculous that when you're 16 you have to pick three subjects that are gonna like determine the rest of your life and obviously those subjects have massive weight and I wanted to choose art because I wanted to go to art school and my parents were like, hang on a second, (laughs) that's not what we wanted for you. And um, we kind of disagreed on it for a while and design was actually my way of convincing them that I could have a stable career um, if I went to art school. Mm. And I think, now I think back to it, really I wanted to study fine art and I wanted to draw and I wanted to paint, but I was willing to compromise by studying graphic design because um, it was, in my parents' eyes, maybe like a more stable and lucrative career. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I got into design. Um, and I did my foundation course in Brighton City College, and I think it's probably called something different now, actually. And then I went on to study at Central St. Martins, which is where I teach now. Mm-hmm. I like how you explained that sort of where you really wanted to go fine art, mm. but your parents were like, oh, hold on, let's think of career options and choices here. And design was sort of the compromise where you could still do that, yeah. but satisfy the career worries. Exactly. And I don't think I really understood the difference between art and design 
back then mm-hmm. because I had basically just done some work experience with a graphic designer and I was like, this is all right. I like drawing stuff on screen. I like making logos. Um, and then I obviously, um, I went to CSM, which is such a broad um, graphic design course. Mm-hmm. It really ranges from anything from film to an animation to um, coding to illustration. And so because it was so wide, I felt I could practice in uh, whatever way I wanted. And I really learned that when you break graphic design down, it's so much more than just branding, which really, really excited me. So I was really lucky to study there. Mm -hmm. So you sort of learned by being in it that there's a lot more art component to it than you had originally anticipated? Um, I think it was more that the discipline was kind of fluid enough that I could use it to whatever advantage I wanted. Um, I actually, in my second year, I went on study exchange to School of Visual Arts in New York. Mm -hmm. And that was such an interesting education because it was kind of the opposite uh, design education that I'd had at St. Martin's. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very like a branding and typography based. Um, but we still took a couple, I like, I went with some friends from my course and we took a couple of cool classes like 3D design. And, um, uh, I think one was called, the class was called Dirty Graphics. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a protest, uh, screen, silk screen printing class. Uh, and that was uh, that was really really fun. But again, like I had a really, I guess, multifaceted um, approach when it came to design in my education. Yeah, which is brilliant because it looks allows you to look at so many different things um, and sort of intermingle and twist them all together to create something unique or have a really unique perspective and take on things. Yeah, exactly. So I like that with a diverse background. So where did where did the diversity or your your championship of diversity and design start? Where did that kick off? Oh, so I think it was something that I had kind of always been interested in. It had kind of always been in the back of my mind because I'd tended to always, like we moved around the country, around the UK a lot, like when I was growing up and I tended to live, in quite like homogenous places, quite white places. And um, I kind of, I guess, always felt like the odd one out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I finally like got to London to study and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. There was so much diversity in the city. Um, but then I was like kind of confused because I didn't feel like that same um, ethnic diversity was reflected within um the student body at CSM. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that kind of, I think that was kind of where I first got interested in like questioning why things were the way they were. I'm really interested in cultural criticism now, but I didn't really have a name for it then. Um, And so for my final year thesis or dissertation, um, I wrote about the lack of women of color that I saw in the design industry. And so that, um, I really, really enjoyed writing that. And one of my tutors, Ruth Sykes, read it and she was like, oh, you should try and get this published. Mm -hmm. And I was 
don't be silly, Ruth, that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, and then it got published on Creative Review on International Women's Day in 2018, I think it was now. Um, and so that was when I was first like, oh, this writing thing could have legs. And I really enjoyed putting my thoughts into that format, which I'd never really done that much before, apart from when I was in school. So I kind of rediscovered my love for writing through that, which is why um, I work a lot in design journalism now. Um, I write for a site called Lecture in Progress. And um, I also write for AIGA's Ion Design. Um, And that's really kind of allowed me to find the intersection between the design industry and this cultural criticism space, which Mm -hmm. I'm also in. Was that that the AIGA eye on design that you did, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with that. Yeah. Um, And so that's kind of how I got interested in the subject of diversity mm-hmm. because I wrote that and it got published and then I once I graduated um, that kind of started to take different forms so I ran a, a an event with um, Ladies Wine Design London mm-hmm. the London chapter and um, because a lady called Emily Chen who was on the podcast before mm-hmm. um, she got in touch with me after reading the article and um, kind of reached out and said, oh, I'd really like our events to be more diverse. Is there something that we could do together? And then we decided to run an event called Represent, which was um, basically involved me hosting a panel discussion of um, comprised of five other women of colour illustrators and designers. And that was really interesting and that's when I first got interested in speaking as well and Mm -hmm. how writing and speaking can work in collaboration together. And then off the back of that, I, alongside my friend Cardinal Moby, who's also on the panel discussion, uh, decided to create a group for women of colour and non-binary people of colour within the UK creative industry. We tend to, to kind of branch out from design. Um, because we just wanted solidarity and community. And after that group was born, it just kind of grew and grew. And we have um, kind of like, uh, I guess, IRL, in real life meetups every other month now. And it's an amazing source of community and, um, as I was saying before, solace in an industry that can be quite, difficult to work in when you're a minority and um yeah so that's the way that i guess this interest in diversity has manifested but it also comes up a lot in my writing and also the sometimes the clients that i work with in terms of design Mm -hmm. so nishka i want to ask you now then through this you sort of your path to get to where you are now what mm-hmm. has been the most influential design of your life so far? Something that you saw and has just stuck with you since? I think um, I remember stumbling across this um, design for an Afrofusion music festival on Behance, yeah. like ages ago. I think it was still while I was in university and just 
adoring it and it was it was the most random thing because mm-hmm. I just found it on the internet and I just loved it because it was the first kind of design that I'd seen that taught me that design could be free it didn't have to follow this kind of minimalist aesthetic which seems to dominate most of the industry um it could be combined with illustration it could be really life affirming and colorful and all of those things and it could still be taken seriously um so i think that was kind of the one design that um i think it was by cynthia alonso um it just completely changed my outlook on everything (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's amazing when you see something like that that really points out to you oh design can be that yeah exactly exactly and that's why i think bringing a diversity of um design uh practice and uh design labor but also uh examples of a diverse range of design is so important Mm -hmm. definitely important i couldn't agree more there Mm. um who are some of the designers and brands that you look up to and closely follow and what about them do you like um i think that for me the people that i follow most closely would definitely be um my peers and the community of designers that I've kind of surrounded myself in London. So I guess the people I'm most excited about now are my friends who are in uh, their final year at university. So uh, Veronica Jones at LCC at London College of Communication and Ishwari Giga at uh, Central St. Martins because um, they I've seen them grow so much in university and I've seen them, uh, their work grow as well. And I'm so excited for them to basically come into industry and just kick ass completely. Yeah. Uh, I think they're going to take the industry by storm. So I think the people I'm most excited about are the next generation. Very cool. That next generation and seeing sort of where they're putting their thoughts or, or how they're background is affecting their creativity and where they're going to take it exactly exactly love it the up-and-comers yeah so i want to ask you a little bit about print and packaging now um can you Mm -hmm. tell us how you have utilized print and packaging design in your career so far and maybe a cool project or a cool story around print or packaging that you could share with us I I was thinking about this before you called and Mm -hmm. I really want to say that I have an amazing print story but I think that I think actually like one of the like most frustrating things about my career is that I haven't really done I don't think any print projects apart from when I was in um university Mm -hmm. um for some reason it's just been super web and digital based I cut my teeth at an app agency so most of the work that I've been getting since then has been digital design so I think my aim for 2020 is to find an amazing print project that changes my life I I would I think if I was speculating uh my dream print project would probably be to I think brand and music festival I'd really love to do that um, I um, 
write for a music website called Gigwise sometimes and music's actually a really big part of my life and a big influence um, for my design because I um, I shoot for them I, photography as well mm-hmm. um, and so I'd really love like a music inspired print project that would be perfect well absolutely then to flex the creative muscles on something like that would be amazing exactly exactly so is there any I guess the other way to ask is there any interaction that you've had with something in print that stood mm-hmm. out to you that you felt was really unique and why hmm Interaction that I've had with something in print. Um, I think I probably have to be super designer nerdy and say (laughs) um, Mag Culture magazine store, uh, which is in in town. It's in, I think it's in Angel or like, yeah, I think it's in Angel Mm -hmm. um, in London, sorry. And um, it's just every magazine there or zine or publication or whatever you want to call it um is made with so much love and so much attention and care that it's just a really magical place to be it's literally like graphic designers unite like I feel like they're (laughs) the only people who go there but um it is so um it is so I don't know there's just a kind of reverence in a place like that because everyone says that print is dead so much that it feels like a kind of activism that it's there in uh, the first place um, because it just feels like this little haven that is defying all these odds in the digital age and Mm -hmm. saying that no print isn't dead. Um, I think if I had to pick a favourite, it would definitely be um, the utopia issue of... um, Ion Designs magazine because mm-hmm. I uh, did this interview with uh, a collective called One of My Kind mm-hmm. about their press, uh, Rabbits Road Press, in it, and it was just one of uh, it was just one of those great moments where you get to work with your friends and just have a chat and call it work, and it was just a really brilliant experience, and I love the way that magazine is designed. So that would probably be my favorite print project. That's a great one. I love the way you worded that. I had never thought of it that way, but you know, almost a a form of I think you said a form of activism that print is still mm. still kicking in this digital age and it's still delivering yeah. you know results for companies and standing out and creating experiences that the digital world just can't. Yeah. It's almost as if tangibility is becoming retro. Yes. Or vintage um or something that's really cool. And it's all, I guess we, we're, we've automatically become cooler because we can say that we were around in the age where books were still a thing. <laughs> exactly. So true. All right. The next few questions I have for you, take you down part of your career where you've likely made some mistakes, learned some lessons, and I want to pull those stories out and share those with the listeners. And then I'll turn it around and we'll end in a happy spot. Mm-hmm. So... What has been the most challenging period of time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it? Um, I think that the most challenging time for me was probably when I graduated from university 
Um, I think that's a really difficult period of time for anyone. Um, and I've written about this a bit for lecture in progress. Um, I was quite beset by graduate depression, but uh, after we graduated, because it was the summer and summer in London is the best, um, me and my friends all had like a brilliant summer and we were like, we're free, we're free. And then winter came and winter in London is the worst thing in the entire world. <laughs> and um, it was, and then I suddenly just felt really, really low. And I didn't understand why, because I had a lot of work. Um, and then sort of like six months passed and then I got really, really ill and I was in bed for five days and I realised that it was because I had literally just been working like six or seven days a week because I just thought that I had to keep that momentum up from university and mm -hmm. I had to be working all of the time, particularly because I was freelance. So I was like, what if a period comes when I don't get any work? Like I need to take on as much work as possible. Yeah, it's like you've uh, got to eat while the food's on the table. Exactly, exactly. And I think then five days in bed really taught me that that lifestyle is very unsustainable I think this sort of like live fast die young lifestyle that is so prevalent in university um is not you kind of get into real life and you're like I can't live like this anymore <laughs> I actually do need eight hours sleep like it's not a myth mm -hmm. um and so I think that like the year after graduating was a really difficult time because um, my mental health was bad and I was sort of finding my feet and I couldn't really understand why. Um, and then I think coming out of that and learning that I was allowed to rest and mm -hmm. I was allowed to like go out with my friends and have a nice time and or sit in bed all day and not feel guilty about it that was actually really, really revolutionary mm -hmm. for me, particularly from the art school culture combined with the Indian culture that I come from. Like everything is very, tends to be very workaholic based. And so freeing myself from that was um, really quite revolutionary. You know, it's always amazing to me how our bodies will tell us things, <laughs> yeah. whether, whether we want to hear it then or not. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I think, um, I think, yeah, I think that's a really great point because I think listening to my body has taught me so much more mm -hmm. um, than maybe my mind could ever have taught me. <laughs> um, I think it's a really, it sounds really hippie, but people underrate listening to their body so much and your body kind of tells you everything you need to know. Mm -hmm. The trouble is getting in tune to it so you don't you know, get into these situations where mm. um, your body just wrecking balls you for a couple of days because you weren't listening. You know, yeah. The, the, the struggle exactly. is really learning to listen and having, giving the quiet space almost for meditation to, to hear it and to find, to, to really see the clarity on what, where you should be going. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I am going to touch wood and I don't want to tempt fate, but I have not yet been ill this winter. So fantastic. I think that I'm getting there. There's something there. There's something there. I'm definitely <laughs> immediately get ill like tomorrow. Immediately. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, okay, I want to get a little bit more specific with this next one. Can you take us to a specific design or project that you were a part of that did not go well or bring the desired result? What was that like? How did that feel? Can you take us to that story? Hmm, that is a good question. Um, that didn't bring the desired result. I guess... I don't really want to say things that I've pitched for. Like, I think, okay, I think maybe the most disappointing project was probably when someone cold emailed me from an organisation that I was really happy to get an email from Mm -hmm. and asked me to pitch for this amazing rebranding project that actually had a, a really good budget, which... Uh, feel time. <laughs> so it was it was really great and then I spent I think the best part of two days creating a pitch for that project and then the guy just I emailed it and then the guy just never replied and I like followed up several times and never got a reply and I think that was the most disappointing uh thing that I've probably experienced in the design industry because it was frustrating to have Mm -hmm. put actual work and time in and then not even get a no but just not get a reply at all and I sort of to this day don't really know what happened with that Mm -hmm. um but I think it's it's really indicative of kind of the one of the darker sides of the industry um that just exploits um designers work all of the time and mm-hmm. exploits their effort and their time um and I, I i feel like there are so many um people who are trying to tackle this issue but it still seems to be really prevalent mm-hmm. from anything from asking people to pitch for free to um something that some of my friends have encountered are um tasks that people give you when you're applying to a job and in order to get the interview, you like have to cre- complete a pre-interview task. And some of them are wild. They're literally like two or three days worth of work. Jeez. And if you have an unpaid, if you have a full-time job, then you don't have the time to create that. And it's just, it really decreases accessibility to the industry when things like this happen. And it means that only people from incredibly privileged backgrounds are going to be able to participate in the industry because um, that's the only way you can complete tasks like that or um, kind of take exploitation or free pitching in your stride is Mm -hmm. if you already have like a bank of money that you're sitting on. The luxury Um, of time and freedom. Exactly, exactly. And um, I think for me, that's one of the most frustrating things. And I definitely don't think I'm alone in that happening. Mm -hmm. So why do you think that happens? Do you think it's, is it that the marketing community or, you know, business community, the importance of creativity and the skill set of design is just, they don't understand? Is it, I guess what I'm asking is, is it a lack of understanding or is it just people who don't care? And I I think it's probably both. I feel like there are a 
I mean, design, I think design is probably undervalued to a lot of companies. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they, I think particularly those very like fast paced agency environments where you have to produce work every second of every day and your con- your time is constantly monitored. It just proves that design is not valued because the best design happens when you have time and space to work on something um and i also think it is just the people are dicks <laughs> perfect at the, at the end of the day yeah that's what it is some people are absolutely yeah um okay i'm going to turn this bus around a little bit for you Tell us now about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of, one that just makes your heart sing. Um, I think that would definitely have to be um, a project I worked on with um, my friend Kelly Walters, who's a um, designer and she also teaches at um, the New School in New York. Um, And that was a project called called open dialogue Mm -hmm. and essentially how it came about was kelly came um to csm i think i was in my final year um and brought some of her students as kind of like a teaching exchange and study Mm -hmm. exchange and um while she was at um csm she put on this uh exhibition for designers and artists of Afro-Caribbean descent Mm -hmm. and um, the exhibition was just absolutely amazing I helped out um, and I photographed the opening night and everyone gave presentations about their work and because it's the type of exhibition which happens so rarely in places like CSM and institutions in general Mm -hmm. it felt even more special and um, I think everyone who was a part of it just remembers it as this amazing night and um so the following year after that um Kelly and I kept in touch and we uh over Skype basically uh together designed a website that housed um the work from the exhibition mm-hmm. housed the um all of the artists and designers who were involved um and everyone's reactions to the exhibition and kind of in an archive. And it was just, um, I think everything that I loved about it was reflected in the design that we've created together. It Mm -hmm. was really powerful, um, really vibrant. It um, showcased loads of imagery from the opening night, which I think is imbued with so much nostalgia and happy memories for everyone who was there Mm -hmm. and I think it holds a really special place um in the heart of everyone who exhibited in open dialogue so I think that was definitely one of my most special projects because it had so many personal connections and it was also a design that I was really really proud of yeah that's so easy to see why that would be just an incredible product to have been a part of yeah yeah, it was it definitely really magical. That's awesome. Okay, with that one, um, you've now made it to the point of the show for the Ask It Forward question. This is where okay. I have a question for you from my last guest. And okay. you get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. I'm not going to tell you who they are, but you can ask them anything. Okay, perfect. So um, 
This is kind of a, a cool one to ask, actually, because my last guest um, is or was Paula Cher, who's a partner at Pentagon. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's so funny because um, I, I, I've met her a couple of times when I was in New York and she's she's so cool. But I think she definitely doesn't remember me. <laughs> you never know but I, I didn't ask so but, <laughs> but she wanted to ask the next guest which is you um what aspect of design or designing makes you the most angry or frustrated mm. god damn it paula that's a good question God, there are so many things. So what was it? What part of the design process? What part of design or designing? It could be the process or the act of doing the design makes you the most frustrated or angry. Hmm. You know what it is? It's when there's a very minute difference between Photoshop an illustrator mm-hmm. when you go rotate something and is it rotate or I think it's mirroring and it does the exact opposite in Photoshop as it does to illustrator <laughs> and I would really like shout out to Adobe to fix that because that is the most annoying thing that after I've been using those programs for probably about eight years mm-hmm. they're still not fixed and it drives me insane um, and I guess the other thing about designing would probably be, I guess, when you have bad clients, that yeah. is definitely the worst thing. And it, it's all—I feel like it's always the bigger budget projects where you have bad clients, so really? you have to deal with them because you're like, oh, I need the money. But <laughs> it's the worst. Yeah, um, yeah, that would probably be the most frustrating thing. That's so interesting because in in my experience on the you know in the print side of things, it the clients with the smaller budgets are the most difficult to work with. Oh, really? Whereas the big budgets, one they usually know what they're doing. They usually got the files. They understand the process, and mm-hmm. you know everything just kind of ticks along. Everybody on the same page. But the smaller ones, and it's usually the business cards. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. I bet. That must be so true. <laughs> Perfect. Well, what is the ask it forward question that you would like me to ask the next guest? Um, I think my ask it forward question would be, um, was there ever a project that you've taken on uh, which sparked a lot of imposter syndrome in you? Mm, good question. Thank you. So was there ever a project you were a part of that sparked imposter syndrome? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I'm going to ask the next guest. And Anushka, you have reached the end of the Quickie Podcast. Thank you so much for oh, being brilliant. my guest I today. won. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I completed the round. Yeah, you completed. You made it. Okay, amazing. Thanks so much for having me. No, it was great having you. It was my pleasure, truly. All right, that is the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate your time. And remember, if you listened to this episode, take a screenshot, share that you listened to it on Instagram somehow, and be sure to tag at the Quickie Podcast. I want to be able to reach out to you and say thank you directly. So thanks again, and we'll see you soon.